Hey, happy weekend after Christmas, Wooddale Church. We are thrilled to have you with us, no matter if you're at our Loring Park campus, West Bank campus, Edina, Eden Prairie, watching from home or in locations all over the world. Maybe you're on your cell phone. It's great to have you with us. And I'm so excited about what God is going to do today. I wonder how many of you would say, you know what, I'm in a period of transition in my life. I'm at this phase of life where things are looking like they're going to be different in the future than they are now. It's a time for a change of seasons. You know, the Bible talks about that. Back in the 1960s, there was this band. Maybe you've heard of them. They were called The Birds. And they recorded a song that reached number one on the Billboard charts. And it's a song that was based on that Bible passage that talks about seasons. A Bible passage found in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And maybe you remember these words from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. I don't know what season you find yourself in today, but I am sure of this. You are in some sort of season in your life. There's not a human being alive today who isn't experiencing great joy, great trials, great uh, challenges in their life. We're all in seasons. Now, when I hear somebody's a new parent, I know what season they're in. My wife and I became grandparents not long ago. And that new parent season, it's that season that says, are we ever going to have a day where we don't have to change another diaper? Or are we ever going to have another night that, that isn't a sleepless night? Or is there ever going to be a day where we don't get unsolicited advice on how to care for our kids? Some of you are in that season of life that is the season that is parenting teenagers. And I know that that's a season of life. It's that season where you say, is there ever going to be a day where we're not spending this much money on food? Is there ever going to be a day where I don't feel like an ATM and a carpool anymore? Is there ever going to be a day where my kids aren't growing up so fast? That's a season where you blink and you open your eyes and you realize your kids have grown so fast. Some of you are in that empty nester season of life, that season where you are looking back, maybe with fondness at those times where you had kids at home. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're rediscovering your spouse and you're remembering what it was that made you fall in love with them in the first place. You're discovering new hobbies or new things about yourself. Maybe you were enjoying grandkids for the first time. Some of you are in a season of transition in your life where you've lost a job and it feels like you're on a continual job search or maybe you are at a spot in your life where you have a huge decision ahead of you and you feel the weight of that decision every single day. I know there's a lot of you right now that are in the season of engagement. I have seen more corona engagements on Facebook and on Instagram in the last few months. And I get excited for our future brides and grooms as I think about their big day and all that lies ahead of them. 
You know, Jesus was familiar with seasons. As the God of the universe, he gets that there are different seasons that we're going to experience in our life. In fact, Jesus, throughout his ministry, experienced a number of seasons as well. Some of you are in this season of transition, and you're, you're kind of wondering, Lord, where are you? I mean, it, it has felt for most of us like 2020 has been one long season that just is never going to end. And now that this week we're on the brink of entering 2021, we wonder, is 2021 going to be any better? This has been a hard, hard season of life. But listen, Jesus understands it. Jesus gets it. Jesus knows what it's like to go through it. We're going to come to this point in Jesus' ministry today that's found in Luke's gospel. It's actually in the ninth chapter. And in order to understand it, you need to get a little bit of context. So let me tell you what's happening. Jesus has been building into his disciples for almost three years. His disciples have uh, seen God do amazing things through Jesus first, and then he allowed them to experience some amazing work of the Spirit in their lives. At the beginning of Luke chapter 9, they go on a mission trip, and they experience great things, and they come back, and they can't wait to tell Jesus all about the things Things that they've experienced. And Jesus, before he um, hears it all, says, hey, we're going to go on a little retreat. We're going to go across the lake. And the retreat doesn't really turn out to be a retreat. There's a crowd of 5,000 people waiting for them. And Jesus does one of his most famous miracles in this chapter. He feeds 5,000 people with a few pieces of bread and some fish. And then the disciples uh, have some other things that happen in this chapter. They begin to argue about silly things. They argue about who the greatest is in the kingdom of heaven. Eventually, Jesus preparing for this last season of ministry and his time here on earth takes Peter, James, and John, three of his disciples, up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And they experience a supernatural event where the voice of God speaks in two of the, the, the leaders of antiquities, Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus. And God affirms once again that Jesus is the Son of God. Then Jesus talks about things like taking up your cross and carrying him and some of the cost of following Jesus. And as we get to verse 51, he says this, we see this, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It is a moment in the gospel of Luke where everything changes and everything that is before Jesus is about the cross. Now we've just celebrated Christmas this week and Christmas really has no meaning if it isn't for the cross. Somebody gave me a beautiful gift this week. It was a scroll saw cross that had a nativity scene in it. And it's particularly poignant because it speaks about the truth that Christmas is about a baby who was born in the shadow of the cross. That is what Jesus is resolutely looking forward to. Now, every one of us have goals in our life. I love Olympic athletes. And I think back to the 1992 Olympic Games. There were two particularly poignant events that happened there. One was when Gail Devers was um, running her event. She was a world-class thought to be the gold medal winning athlete, kind of picked ahead of time to win the 100 meter hurdles. And she has prepared her whole life for this race. And she begins to, to take off and she gets to the last hurdle. And if you remember those games, she tripped over that hurdle and she ends up on the ground. And all of the goals that she had of finishing that race and being number one went aside. But in that moment, as she was on the ground, on her hands and knees, she began to crawl toward the finish line. 
because she would not be deterred. She was going to finish that race. Derek Redmond was another story that came out of those Olympics. Many of you are familiar with his story. He was an English uh, athlete who ran the 400 and he had trained like Gail all of his life and similarly had an injury. He, as he was running, he pulled a hamstring. And there's this moment in the race where he's hobbling in pain. He tries to get back up because he just wants to get across the finish line, but he can't even put weight on the leg because of the torn hamstring. And there's this picture of this man who comes running out of the stands and he puts his arm around Derek Redman. And the man was his father. And the father who uh, had a limp of his own together limps with his son across the finish line to thundering applause. Listen, when we face seasons of change, we, we need to understand that um, there are challenges that we're, we're going to face along the way. Not every season is an easy season to go into, and the season which Jesus was about to go into was the most challenging season that any person in the history of the world would face for the God of the universe would be going to the cross. And Jesus knew that his disciples would need to learn some lessons in those moments, in those weeks that were leading up to the cross. And so in verses 52 and 53, he teaches us that following Jesus will always bring about opposition. Following Jesus almost always brings opposition. Look at the... Uh, next two verses, as he sent his messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people who were there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And so here's kind of the background story. There were two ways to get to Jerusalem when you were in Galilee. The first way, which would have been the simplest way, would be to go from Galilee in the north down to Jerusalem in the south and just cut right through Samaria. It would cut at least a day off your journey. But no good Jewish person would do that because of the rivalry and the ethnic uh, clashes that the Jewish people had with the Samaritans. So any good Jew would get down here and then go east and add about a day to their journey so they could avoid the region of Samaria. Now Jesus was not the typical Jewish man. As God in the flesh, Jesus, we read in John 3, 16, so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came because of God's love for the world and that included Samaritans, again, the ethnic enemies of the Jewish people. Generations before, the Samaritans who were related to the Jewish as far as their cultural identity had made some compromises in their faith. Now, these Jewish folks had married Gentiles and set up their own temple to worship God in Gerizim instead of Jerusalem. And because of that, uh, they were ostracized by the Jewish people and they ostracized the Jewish people back. But Jesus' relationship by Luke chapter 9 was so beautiful with the Samaritans that he wasn't avoiding the region, he was going through the region. And at first, when he would go through that region, the disciples would be like, Jesus, why, why do you want to go into Samaria? These people aren't worth our time. But when Jesus tells these two disciples to go into Samaria, and he tells them to uh, prepare for his coming, the disciples don't hesitate. Because when you hang out with Jesus, something beautiful happens. You become more like Jesus. There's no hint that there was any hesitation from the disciples into going to the region of Samaria. No, they just went. They obeyed Jesus. And I don't think they expected any opposition. 
but they found it. In verse 52, the people, the, the disciples not only faced opposition, but the, the Samaritans were like, we want nothing to do with you because you're heading to Jerusalem. And they were upset. Listen, when we face opposition as followers of Jesus, remember, it's something that we should expect. Pastor Dale preached so beautifully in one of our last sermon series about spiritual warfare. And if you haven't watched that sermon series, maybe you're new to Wooddale in the last month, I want to encourage you, go there and watch it. Because there's so much gold to be mined in those sermons. The reality is, Dale told us, that we live in a world where as followers of Jesus, we're going to face opposition. Listen to Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. We shouldn't be surprised when we face opposition. You know, it's interesting to me just how diverse people's reasons are for opposing Christ. In this passage, it was some sort of nationalistic pride on the Samaritans' part that got, them in the, got in the way of them experiencing all that Jesus wanted to do for them. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, not welcome here. What is it in your life? Jesus, you want me to handle things differently in my marriage? I, I don't know if I want you touching that. Jesus, you want to control like how I live my life? Like holiness matters to you? I don't know, Jesus. That, that kind of cramps my style. You see, it's not just the Samaritans. Every one of us is sometimes guilty of putting something in front of what Jesus wants to do in our life. Very soon, the pride of the Samaritans robbed them of the blessing of serving God, and it got to the disciples. Instead of the disciples just kind of being like, okay, they don't want to hear it. We'll shake the dust off our feet, which is what Jesus told them to do at the beginning of the chapter. The disciples got riled up and they got mad. Maybe somebody has said something about you. Maybe somebody said something about Jesus that has gotten you mad before. Well, listen, the disciples got so mad and they allowed it to sidetrack them. Listen, vision helps us not to get sidetracked in our mission. I want to say that again. Vision helps us not to get sidetracked in our mission. Look at how the disciples get sidetracked here. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. And if you're reading that with 21st century lenses, you're kind of like, Peter and John, what, I mean, James and John, what chapter, what, what, what planet are you, are you from? What do you mean? Do you want to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? It's probably why James and John have that nickname, the sons of thunder, because they had a temper that was incredible. They're attempting <coughs> to show Jesus that they're serious about him. I think the disciples in this moment are trying to say, Jesus, we're, we're so serious about what you want to do. You want to reach Samaritans. They're not interested. Listen, we'll call down fire from heaven. And in order to completely understand that, you have to go back to an Old Testament passage. In 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, there's a story that happened from the life of the great prophet Elijah. Elijah was one of the few who followed God, one of a remnant in his generation. For a time, he thought he was the only one who was faithful to God in his generation. And he had messages from God for wicked kings and 
One day, uh, there was a group of men who came down to arrest Elijah. And in that passage, Elijah literally calls down fire from heaven and 50 men and their commanders are consumed by fire. The king who commanded the men to go arrest Elijah was King Ahaziah. And you know where he was king over? Samaria, where the disciples were now. You see, they were asking Jesus, Jesus, do you want us to do what Elijah did? Maybe they thought, if the Samaritans deserved it back then, then surely, God, they deserve it now. But Jesus rebuked his disciples. He was like, listen, guys, I don't need you to defend me. This is not the time to get sidetracked. This is not the time to lose the mission that I've called us to. Because remember, Jesus had resolutely set his eyes toward Jerusalem. And he knew what his purpose was. And there was nothing that was going to get in the way of Jesus doing the work that he needed to do on the cross. He wanted his disciples not to get distracted when it came to vision. Listen, as a church, we have a mission that has been the same for many years. Wooddale Church exists to honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ. And when we say that's our church's mission, that means it's your mission. If you call Wooddale Church your church home, The church isn't a building, it's people. And so this is a mission that collectively God has called all of us to. Are you living your life on mission right now? Or are you allowing yourself to get sidetracked from the work that God has called us to? You know, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's work stress. Maybe you're one of those people who believe, hey, there's a global pandemic right now. Like, how in the world are we supposed to be about disciple making? What I want to say to you, if if there's something that's getting in the way of you living on mission for Jesus is you're missing out on the great joys of being a 21st century follower of Jesus and living your life on purpose, with greater meaning, and with God wanting to do amazing things. Listen, did you know that even during the pandemic, God is doing amazing things at Wooddale Church? There are entire neighborhoods that received Christmas boxes over the last month with the hope of the gospel clearly presented and already people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. We are so excited about that. Since the pandemic started, there have been new microchurches that have been launched in neighborhood cul-de-sacs and heated garages and backyards and in living rooms. Our expanded capacities online have helped us to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just with the weekend services, but with kids programming and student programming. Virtual life groups have begun all over the place. One-to-one mentoring relationships are happening with people who could not have met together in person because of physical disability or other things. There are Celebrate Recovery groups that are meeting online at our Loring Park campus, at our Eden Prairie campus, and God is delivering people from addictions. He's delivering them from strongholds. He's delivering them from hurts, habits, and hangups that have held on to them for so long. This is what it means to live on mission for Jesus. And listen, people are tuning in to hear the hope of the gospel from dozens of countries in almost all 50 states. Does it cost us something to be involved in living on mission for Jesus? Absolutely it does. But listen, it is worth it. It is worth every minute of that investment. The remainder of chapter 9 gives us three great illustrations as to what following Jesus will cost those who are going to follow him. And it begins in verses 57 and 58 where we see that following Jesus is going to cost you comfort. 
Sometimes Jesus is going to take you to some very uncomfortable places, but it's always worth it. As they were walking along the road, a a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Have you ever had that kind of zeal? Maybe it was when you first came into a relationship with Jesus Christ and you said, Jesus, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. Wherever it is you want me to go, I'll go. You tell me what to do and I'll be there. I remember when I was a kid, there was a song that we used to sing at my little church growing up. It was called, I have decided to follow Jesus. And it went, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. And then it said, no turning back, no turning back. I remember I'd sing that song as a teenage kid with dozens of other kids in the tiny little youth room at the church that I grew up in. And I had such great intentions of following Jesus. And then we'd sing the next verse, you know, though none go with me, still I will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, whatever it takes. Sometimes we think that that's the case, but Jesus very quickly tells this man, what it means to follow him. Look at verse 58. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, even the animals are more wealthy than I am. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Are you sure you're ready to follow me that far? Are you sure? Many of Jesus' followers expected in the first century that Jesus was going to overthrow the government. They believed the kingdom that he talked about was an earthly kingdom that would take over the Roman government. And, you know, in that day, Roman soldiers, if if they were generals, they they had a great living. They they had a very comfortable existence. In fact, if you worked for a Roman soldier, if if you had a general that you were underneath and served under him, there was almost this trickle-down economics, and the Roman soldiers did just fine. And many, because they misunderstood the kingdom that Jesus was talking about, thought that following Jesus meant that they would experience earthly wealth, that they would experience these incredible earthly blessings. And Jesus is beginning to flip the tables on that and say, listen, sometimes following me means you're going to go to uncomfortable places, but it's going to be worth it. I wonder if you're willing to do that. I can't tell you how many times I've slept in beds in third world countries and underneath stars and I've been just miserable as far as creature comforts go. But I have been more fulfilled in some of those places amongst the poorest in the world than I am when I sleep in my bed in Eden Prairie. Following Jesus isn't about making our lives more comfortable. It's quite the opposite. Quite often following Jesus is going to take us out of our comfort zones. Second, following Jesus is going to change your priorities. Has Jesus messed with your priorities? Has following him changed the way that you live your life? Look at verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, some of us, we read those verses at a cursory level, find them a little bit offensive. It almost sounds like Jesus doesn't care about family and responsibility and old age. But that's not true. The Bible is full of admonitions for caring for our elderly parents and honoring our father and mother. And it's even in the Ten Commandments. 
Jesus is not being disrespectful here. We know that Jesus would not contradict himself. His point is this, that the gospel changes our priorities. All of those things that we need to accomplish before getting serious about our walk from Christ, with Christ are idols in our lives. In this case, it could have taken years for the man's father to die. In this case, Jesus is telling the man, listen, your family relationships have become a little bit of an idol to you. To his own disciples, Jesus would say, no one who's left homes or fathers or mothers or brothers or sisters for my sake will fail to receive in this age and in the age to come 10 times. Listen, I wonder for you if it was Jesus who was addressing you and telling you to come follow him. What it is that would stop you from following him. Jesus, I, I, I will get serious about my relationship with you when? And fill in the blank. I mean, let's put it on the screen here. What would you put after the dots? I'll get serious about my relationship with Jesus when blank. Because chances are, whatever you've put after the blank is the idol that you've put ahead of Christ. We see a third example of the cost of following Jesus in verses 61 and 62, and that is that following Jesus will require unwavering commitment. And I get it. None of us are unwavering in our commitment 100% of the time. Still another said, I I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It almost sounds as if, again, Jesus is anti-family in these verses, but that's not the case. Jesus is God. He established the family unit. He loves families. But he's calling us to an unwavering commitment. This is that no turning back faith that we talk about in that song, I've decided to follow Jesus. But it's much more than that. For the first century listener, it would have also hearkened back to another event from antiquities and another event from the life of Elijah. In this case, it was when Elijah was calling the prophet who would follow him to come and be mentored by him. If you know the story of Elijah, you know there was a young man named Elisha, very similar name, who would become the heir apparent to him. But he'd have to make a decision first. Look at this passage. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So he was at work in the fields. And Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak around him, which was the symbol of a prophet saying, you are gonna be the next one. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. And he said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Sound familiar to what the young man was saying to Jesus? He said, and then, and then, and only after then will I come be with you. Go back, Elijah replied, what have I done to you? It's an amazing passage. It continues in verse 21 with these words. So Elisha left him and went back and he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate and then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant see what's happening here Elisha was like a little bit resistant at first 
Elijah remembered what he was being, reminded him what he was being called to. And Elisha right there and then slaughters 24 oxen over a fire. And what was the fuel of that fire? The very materials that he farmed with. In other words, there was no way to go back to his old way of life. His neighbors would enjoy an old me, a great meal. And Elisha's life would never be the same. It was an unwavering commitment that Elisha was called to. And it's an unwavering commitment that God is calling you and me to as well. This year, th this week, we begin a new year, 2021. And so many of us have looked at those numbers on a calendar and we have put such hope in the changing of a calendar. It's not the calendar that our hope is found in, it's Jesus. And so I want to help make some things personal for you this week. And number one, as you think about next year, I want you to remember that Jesus lived his life on mission. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to be his ambassador in this generation and do the same. I want to encourage you to live your life on mission. When I mentor young men, one of the things that I do is I have them write down their life's mission statement. And just two weeks ago, a young man gave me a call, said, hey, can I come by your office? I've revised my mission statement. And I said, I'd love to hear what you've written. And he, he, this is what he wrote. I exist to bring glory to God by treasuring him above all else and by serving, encouraging, and inspiring others. I love that. This young man works here at Wooddale Church, and I know his life is one that does exactly that. When the young man will be encouraged in future years to be distracted by the stresses of the day, by the things that come with parenting, he has this, this mission that is based on the gospel that he is giving himself toward. What is your life mission? That may be a great place to start your New Year's resolutions this year. God, give me a vision, a great vision for life that I can only accomplish if you're a part of it. Number two, the best things in life cost something. If you have not seen that in this passage, you've missed. You know, we've just come through the Christmas season and on the stage here where I'm preaching, there are Christmas lights still and some Christmas trees. And I'm sure at many of your houses, your trees are still up and the vestiges from this past week, the open packages, the wrapping paper may still even be in a few of your homes. I love to give gifts. Our kids received some beautiful gifts this year, but they cost me something. They cost me time to earn the funds to purchase those gifts. They cost my wife and I time of thinking and planning. And my wife just does this incredible job wrapping the gifts every year. And, and she, she pours her heart into it because things that matter cost something. But no gift that I gave under my tree this year and no gift that I received can compare to the greatest gift that I've ever been given. The gift that we celebrated this week at Christmas time, the gift of Jesus Christ, the best gift in life cost Jesus everything. Number three, there is joy even in the pain when it involves following Jesus. Most of you, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a few years, have experienced the pain that can come from being a follower of Christ in culture, trying to live your life in a way that pleases him. But you know what? There's joy that comes in that too. This past Monday, I received an email telling me that one of our beloved one-to-one -one mentors at Wooddale Church had passed away. She was well into her 90s and had dealt with congestive heart failure the past couple of years. She hasn't been able to mentor in a little while because of her condition and she couldn't drive and people would have to come to her. But every time I'd write a letter or an email asking for mentors, she'd respond. 
in August of 2019, she sent one of her last emails to me. It said, I don't know how I can help. I've mentored for years and would like to help new ones, but I don't drive anymore. But I can have people come visit me. I've done it before on phone, and after it goes well after the first interview, we, we know uh, what we want and to gain by this interaction for God's glory. And then I love her final words. I have recently been diagnosed with congestive heart failure, but that is not a death sentence unless I don't follow the doctor's orders. These last years of my life, I want to make the best of it for the Lord's sake. Let me know how I can serve. Despite everything that she was going through in her 90s, this precious woman knew that there was a joy that came when it involved following Jesus. Can you say that you want to make the best of the years that God has given you for his sake? There's no one better to build your life upon than the Son of God. This Monday, I was in my office and had an opportunity to have a visit from somebody that I've been praying for and um, somebody who just needed to talk. He had built his life upon a foundation that wasn't Jesus. And as we sat in the office that day, it became very apparent that his life's foundation was crumbling told me that he wanted to change. He knew what he needed to do was to trust Jesus as the Savior and Lord. And right there in my office on Monday, he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as the Savior. It was a beautiful way to begin Christmas week. But you know what that man experienced in that moment? Total forgiveness. He experienced grace. He experienced a God who was willing to build a new foundation where the other foundation had been left in ruins. And he understood that following Jesus was going to involve some things, some costly things for him. He was going to have to let some things go. But he understood that those things couldn't compare with the insurmountable joy of the gift of knowing that God loves him, God died for him, and God is living for him. And so I want to invite you at the end of this message today, at the last sermon of 2020, to not let this year just be a wasted year if you don't know Jesus. But to, as we end this year and as we begin a new year, to begin building your life upon the foundation that is Jesus. Are there costs? Absolutely. But Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we could experience the ultimate grace. If you'd like to trust Jesus as your Savior today, I want to invite you to just pray this prayer. Whether you're at our Loring Park campus or West Bank or there in Edina or again, watching in your home or online or here at Eden Prairie, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you that the God who came at Christmas time in the form of a baby lived a perfect life he died on a cross in my place at Easter time and on Easter Sunday, he rose again with the power to change lives. Jesus, I want to do what the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans 10, 9. Today I confess with my mouth and in my heart that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God, you raised your son, Jesus, from the dead. Jesus, today I'm counting upon you to save me and do in me what I can't possibly do in myself. Give me a new purpose, a new meaning, a new start. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today, we'd love to know. 
We have a gift for you at wooddale.org slash yes, our website. And you can go right to this site. There's a virtual faith starter kit with a Bible reading plan. And we'd love to have a pastor follow up with you this week and answer questions that you might have and help you get started in your new journey with Jesus. If you're on location at any of our campuses, we've got a physical faith starter kit we'd be happy to give you as well. It's been a joy to be able to preach to you today, to share the hope that we have, to share about the great cost of following Jesus, but understand that the benefits far outweigh it. May God bless you in this year.